0: Thank you, Lord, that um, you're here with us this morning and that you love us and that you've loved us so much. Um, and for what you did on the cross, we just thank you. Um, so, Lord, we pray that as we learn about you uh, this morning, as, as we go through about your resurrection, Lord, that, you, um, that your spirit will speak through me and that it's not going to be me, it's not going to be out of my own preconceived things that are speaking, Lord, but it's going to be you ultimately um, <clears throat> sharing what it is that you want to be shared this morning. So we just pray that you Spirit will speak to each person here, Lord, as I talk, um, and that you will be able to connect with everyone's heart through the message this morning. In Jesus' name. Someone should wife. Okay. All right, so I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians. Uh, If you all want to turn to 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 15, um, I'm going to read from verse 1, and I'm going to finish when I finish. Um, <clears throat> now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you, receive, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. This is obviously Paul writing this letter, just to give some context. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed... <clears throat> then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who puts all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fall with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God, I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. So, In this, it's obviously talking a lot about the resurrection and the resurrection of Christ and what that means um, and the weight of it. You see, as Christians, we believe um, very heavily that in, in two things, that Jesus died on the cross, but then also that he was raised and resurrected. Um, and through that, he was glorified. And within that, for us, what that means is that he defeated death and he conquered sin, and he opened a door for us humans to be in an intimate relationship with God, not based on works and what we could achieve in ourselves, but based on the position of our heart. Right? This is the gospel in a nutshell. Even just simply that Christ died in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So we're talking about his death and his resurrection. Um, but this whole passage, mine even has a little title It says the resurrection of Christ um, it's this, this whole passage is very concentrated on the resurrection And what that means um, Because both of these are super important But just for a little bit I want to talk about what it actually means And the importance of Christ's re- re- resurrection In his lordship And also how it relates to us and our freedom Now with the resurrection, I love how Paul doesn't tread lightly at all on the topic of it. From verse 12 to 17, he says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So it's pretty heavy. And you kind of think of that and you're like, whoa, that's a bit hectic. But then he goes on to say in verse 20, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. And he even confirms it before when he says in verse 5, after saying that, talking about what the gospel is, he says, and then he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than the 500 brothers at one time. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. This is after the resurrection. So he's confirming in this scripture that Jesus did in fact raise from the dead. <clears throat> and this means that we still have a hope for glory and this is a good thing. It means that our faith isn't in vain or misrepresenting God. But it also confirms that Jesus is who he said he is. Um, just briefly in John 11, verse 25, it's, um, it's the that passage is when Jesus is going to meet with Martha and Mary about Lazarus, who had just passed away. And Martha is like, he's dead. And, he, and Jesus is like, yeah, I know, but he's going to be resurrected. And Martha's like, um, yeah, I know that he's going to be resurrected at the end of the life. And Jesus is like, I am the resurrection and the life. And so it confirms that Jesus actually says who he says he is. Says who he is and that he is the resurrection and so that with Jesus being resurrected it confirms that he is and he is who he says he is. But that's not everything about the resurrection. I think if we just look at verse 22 to 27 for as in Adam all die so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at this coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. So there we see that through the resurrection of Jesus, it's not just that we have this hope that at the end of our life, we are going to go to heaven and that we're going to, you know, be able to live with God in eternity. But it's that also God exalted Jesus so that everything is subject to him. And this is also confirmed by Peter in Acts 2, uh, verse 32 to 33, for anyone taking notes. Um, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. Now the therefore we know is there because... That passage is directly related to the passage before, so I'll read it again. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. So we can see that not only are we saved and are guaranteed to be with God after this life, but with the Holy Spirit inside of us, we have in us the spirit of the man who is Lord over everything right now. Right? So today with that idea of the resurrection and what that looks like, with that idea in our mind, I want to speak on who, on how who Jesus is and what he did is relevant to us as Christians, not just for the afterlife, but for right now as we live. So the title of this sermon is Make Jesus Lord in Your Life. As I was preparing this sermon, I was kind of... I'd been thinking a lot about what it means, like because we've been talking a lot about death um, to ourselves and death to like to the things that are of this world. Um, and I, I realised that I think sometimes as Christians we focus a lot on on being resurrected. I think sometimes as Christians, as we're brought up, we focus on trying to be different, trying to because if you think about the resurrection body versus the death, it's like. You go down, a sinful man, and you come up holy. So we focus on trying to reach that goal, right? We focus on the example of Jesus and we try real hard to be a changed Christian. You know, we, we say, Ah, oh, oh, I'll be less angry. I've just, I just got to be less angry. Or I'm going to love everybody because everybody because Jesus loves everybody, so therefore I have to love everybody, so I'm going to love everybody just based on my own free will. Or I'm never going to sin again. Um, now, while this is noble, and while this is like a, a nice thing to try and want, the intention is misguided. Because if your sole focus is on being changed, then there's, then the world is going to put up a fight in a way that you never thought imaginable. You see, you can't force fruit. We talk about the fruits of the spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, all those other ones. Um, and sometimes we think, oh, that means, therefore, as a Christian, I'm filled with the Spirit. Therefore, I have to be loving. Therefore, I have to be peaceful. Therefore, I have to be patient. But the truth is, it says the fruits of the Spirit. So you have to be in, in, in the Spirit, and then the fruit comes. You can't, like I said, you can't force fruit. You can't just be like, ah, love. I'm loving now. Or like, oh, i just got to be patient, be patient. I'm patient. I'm patient. You're actually being impatient by, by trying to force the patience. Because if, if you try and force it and you try and maintain this, like, I just have to be this, you might do really well. Even, it, it goes from everything from trying to be loving to just trying as simple as not to sin. There's sooner or later, your self-control is going to wear out and you're just going to have one of those days. You know, you're driving to work and you're stuck in traffic and you look over at the transit lane and there's cars going by and like 50% of them are just a single driver and you're just thinking, oh. and then you get to work and your boss is like, Josh, I'm really sorry, but you're going to have to work like twice as hard today because such and such is gone. And you're like, oh, it's okay. I'm patient. I'm loving. It's fine. I hope he has a good day off on holiday. That's fine. And then because of the overworking, you stay overtime, and you're like, no, it's fine. It's all good. It's, I'm just going to be patient, this is, you know, God is testing me, I don't know, Just I've just got to be, I've got to have self-control, I'll be fine. And then, because of the overtime, it means that you're later in the day, so that means you hit peak hour on the way home, so that you're stuck in traffic on the way home now. And then as you're driving home, just like one too many people cuts you off in traffic and you just, uh oh, it's starting to bubble. And the voice is like, the voice is starting to lose a lot of its, a lot of its power, that like, just be self-controlled, and you're like... You don't. You lose your self-control in trying to maintain the fruit that you've try, you're trying to force here, and then you get home, and your <clears throat> your husband or your wife is like, "Oh, I'm really sorry, but I forgot to bring your clothes in from from outside, and now they're all soaked and they're wet." And then you just like you you get angry, and at some point along the line, look, to be honest, it probably would have been in the transit lane for me, but at some point along the line, you're gonna have an outburst or you're gonna get angry. And then all of this suppressed because it's suppressed. It's not. It's not a fruitful self-control. It's just suppressed anger, when you're trying to force it. All this suppressed frustration is going to come out eventually, and it's going to it's going to unleash on someone or even just on yourself, and you lose it. And even if it's brief, you get very angry, but then you feel bad because you're thinking the whole time you've been thinking. No, I want to be a loving, patient Christian. I want to be. I want to be love. I want to be joy. I want to be 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 ah, be peaceful. Be patient. Stop it. I mean, no, be patient, it's fine. (laughs) Um, But what you don't realise is this whole time while you're trying to force yourself to be patient is that (laughs) there's there's this voice telling you that it's bad. But the voice telling you that it's bad not to be patient is actually pride in your flesh. And so then that's another thing where the enemy's going to try and tell you that this is shame, and then you start to feel shamed about why you can't be patient or why you can't stop being angry or why you can't stop doing whatever... And while Satan's got you all wrapped up in this frenzied ball of self, Jesus is over here like, bro, I've got a way for you. Just just look at me. So what is the answer then? What is the answer that Jesus is like? He's not just like, I have the answer. He's like, I've already given you the answer. So what is this answer that we need? Well, if we look at the life of Jesus we can see that the resurrection didn't just happen automatically. In fact, remember how I said before in John, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection. So the resurrection was in Jesus' identity. But if it was an automatic thing, then as soon as Jesus was born, he would have been lifted up to heaven. But that's not what happened. Now, obviously, we know what happened. He had to die first. But it wasn't that he just died. He died willingly. If you look at the scripture, it's not that the life was forced out of him. He actually says it is finished and he gives it up. He willingly dies. He willingly says, I'm going to die. And that's when the resurrection happened. So this is why we keep talking about this. This is why it is so important as Christians to die to ourselves because it is the example that Jesus set. Because then when we die to ourselves, we see the result, and that is the resurrection of Jesus in us. It's when we die that we see that. It's when we let go of these entitlements. It's when we let go of this of unforgiveness, our rights, the things that are trying to hold us back, the things that tell us that, that no, I definitely shouldn't have, have had to stay back at work or I definitely should have been able to, whatever. I definitely deserve this for dinner tonight. Even the smallest things, you, what entitlement tells you that some of the smallest things are the biggest betrayal. But what the resurrection does when we die to ourselves, when we die to that, the resurrection that comes out of that is that Jesus is like, bro, just let it go. It's actually not a big deal. Just focus on me. We actually even see that in Paul's testimony um, because before this he says in verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So for us to see the resurrection, we have to sow something that is dead, Right? And this is why Paul mentions, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Remember that Paul was the one that went around, was the the main dude in persecuting all the Christians during the persecution of the church in Acts. He was like the top dog in that. And then yet Jesus found him and he met him and he changed him. And he changed him in the encounter, but that's not it. Paul actually mentions how it's happened over time in verse 31 i protest brothers by my pride in you which i have in christ jesus our lord i die every day so paul even mentions that with it because we know that paul was met on the on the road to damascus mind blank (laughs) we know that paul was met on the road to damascus and so it was an incredible transformation in his life, but he still has to die every day, and that's how we see the Paul here and why he's so different to the Paul back in Acts. Yeah. But it's not just the death, though, and this is, this is the clincher for me, and I think this is something that, um, that God really was wanting to reveal in my own life, um, that there was, there was something just a little bit missing with it um, that I was doing, but I didn't realize that this is what it was. Um, in verse 3, I was reading this, I read verse 3 and verse 4 so many times this week, um, and I realized I kept skipping over a certain little bit, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. It was the burial. And at first when I read that, I was like, oh yeah, that was just like part of the deal. Like you die and then you get buried and then your resurrection. So it's like, okay, you die, and then you get resurrected. Okay, that makes sense. And I was focusing on that this whole time, but then God pinpointed in me in my own walk the moment that was like, that shifted, and that was because there was a burial. Because I felt like there was something about it, and I asked God what it meant. And through pinpointing this moment, in this moment, this prayer that I had a little while ago where it was like, Where something, I felt something really changed. It was the handing it over. The burial is the finality, it's the putting it to rest. It's the, okay, it's dying, but now I'm putting it to rest and I'm giving it away. Because then when we're, when we're, Putting it to rest when there's finality. When we bury it in Jesus, it's out of our hands and it's given to God. And through that, that's actually declaring the lordship of God because we're saying, "Lord, you have got this." Jesus, you are Lord, and you have got this in my life, and I don't have to worry about this. I don't have to. I'm going to keep dying, and but I'm also going to keep burying it and handing it over to you, because that's also when the glorification happens as well. In later, in chapter 15, I'm just going to read a little bit. In verse 43 to 44, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a, if there is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. So <clears throat> therefore, whatever we die to, whatever we let die and we bury, we are resurrected in that but to a greater glory. And so if we want to chase the glory, we can't just chase the resurrection. We have to actually die to it and we have to bury it and hand it over to Jesus and in that declaring that he is Lord. Yeah. So this is the reason I went on about the significance of Jesus' resurrection before um, is because I believe that there is such a strong correlation with that, with Jesus and what he did on the cross and him being resurrected and who he is and then a correlation with what the resurrection looks like in our life. You see, Jesus willingly died, he was buried, and then he was glorified as Lord through the resurrection. So when we willingly die to our flesh, we bury it, we hand it over to God, he is glorified in us. And therefore, he is put in his rightful place as Lord in our life. Right? How incredible that God has given us the ability to not be subject to the one that He has made Lord of all. How incredible that He given us this—just this, uh, th- just this Im- ability to say, "Nah, I'm going to hold on to this." Yes, I love You, Jesus. Or even just not as as Christians, just as as non-believers. Just this ability as uh, he's, he's created he, He's created the world. He's made Jesus Lord over everything, and and through our own free will, He's given us the ability to say, "Nah, I don't want anything to do with it." I don't have anything to do with you. That's fine. This is Jesus who is Lord. The rocks cry out. Nature cries out to the glory of God. And yet as humans, he values us so much. He values our decision so much. He values the the position of our hearts so much that he's given us the ability to not cry out, to not declare him as Lord. And yet he still chases us. He still tries to reveal himself to us more and more. He values us so much that he lets us choose whether to say yes or no to the king of kings. But then, even as Christians, he'll still talk to us. He'll still minister to us, even though we may have areas in our life that we have denied entry to the Lord of Lords. Right? Think about that for a second. God can still use me as a, as a preacher, as a worship leader, as, a, as anything, as any kind of leader, and I still might have an area of my life that I'm holding on to, that I'm not letting Jesus into, that I'm like, no, 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 I've got this, I'm go away. No, nah, but like, I've got, yeah, like Jesus, I worship you, but in this area, I'm like, no, 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 just leave it. But he still talks to me and he still leads me and he still worships me and how incredible is that? Especially when you consider that it was his plan all along for Jesus to be Lord. You look at the scripture in verse 3 again. It says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, which means that it was always in God's plan to have Jesus be Lord, which means that for eternity, Jesus is Lord in a way. So that means that it was always in God's plan for Jesus to be Lord in our life. So when we're actively denying Jesus' entry into aspects of our life where we could let him be Lord, but he's not we're actually going against the very plan of God, but he still lets it and he still uses us and he still ministers to us and talks to us. But I think we need to have that revelation that we need to, to give it over to God because when, when we consider the fact that Jesus is Lord above all, how much more do you think that we can do when we die and we bury our flesh when we let God be glorified in that, when we let Jesus and sit him at the rightful place on the throne in our lives, how much more power do you think he can have? How much more work do you think that he'll be able to do in our life when we let him in that place? Therefore, because when we do that, we're letting the one who's way above everything else, every other rule, every principality, sit in, sit in authority over our life. But when we don't die, when we don't bury, we're not giving him that throne. We might think we are, but we're actually denying him the throne that he has a rightful place to sit on in our life, especially as Christians, and that's a scary thought. Sometimes as Christians, when we hold on to things, when we hold on to to pride, when we hold on to, to anger, when we hold on to our entitlements, what we don't realize is that we're actually... We're blocking Jesus from sitting on the rightful place over every aspect of our life. If you think about, you know, like we've we've talked about strongholds and we talk about that in DMS and we even just talk about unforgiveness and stuff. Like if you think of yourself as one massive bit of land and Jesus is ruling over everything, but there's just like one area over here that you're just not letting him get into. You're denying the plan and you're also denying him the ability to do a really incredible work in you. But just imagine how much more powerful it is when you can actually say, no, you know what, Jesus? I'm going to die to this. I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to let you be Lord. And that's when the change happens. Because, you see, it's not just freedom from sin. It's not just... The resurrection doesn't just mean that we get... And Jesus' death as well doesn't mean that we... It's not just about being resurrected when we die, and being able to go to heaven at the end of our life. But it's about having the freedom and about being effective ministers in this life. But it has to start with giving him our desires, our dreams, our aspirations, our entitlements, the things that we feel like we deserve, the things, the unforgiveness that we're holding on to. We have to hand that over to him. Um, can I just invite the band back up? Um, I just want to share a little bit of my own testimony. Um, within this, God's been, like, teaching me so much about what it actually means to die to yourself and really kind of – there's a real incredible place of freedom in it, um, Last year, around uh, about a year ago, I um, through a series of conversations and through a series of um, you know just chatting with people, I realised that my my own um, what's the word aspirations or my own goals I was kind of putting them above what God wanted me to do. Uh, a lot of you would know that I'm a I'm a musician and I gig. Um, and uh, I, I have a very strong desire. Still, I have a very strong desire to take it like as far as it can go because I, I love music and music is a big part of me. But what I realized is that uh, about a year ago was that I was holding it on this pedestal and I was I was trying to control it because I I also really strongly believe that God has blessed me with a lot of stuff musically. has blessed me with a lot of incredible opportunities, in, in, opportunities to learn how to play. Um, and that's... And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. But at the same time, I was like, yeah, but I'm going to use that and I'm going to be the best in the whole world. Um, it, not actually. But this was... So last year, I was like, I, I need to take this as far as I can go. And I was I was doing everything I could in my own strength, in my own power. I was going to these really hectic gigs. I was... Um, I was I was doing I was taking as many like musicals as I could on I was I was saying yes I was practicing heaps and I was just doing all this stuff to try and like to you know all the things that you need to do like in general business a lot of you would know it as networking which is the same with um, with music it's just networking getting people getting to know people um, and getting your name out there but what I realized that in doing that I'm also the youth leader here and what I realized that in doing that it was taking away from my ability to focus <clears throat> to focus on the youth group it was taking away from my ability to focus on ministering to the people in this church this family that i have here it was taking away my under- like my attention and the reason for that was because i was putting being a musician on this pedestal and i was i was being a professional full-time working musician on the pedestal right but with these conversations and through through prayer with God and spending some time with him, God kind of showed me. He's like, I gave you these gifts. I gave you the opportunities to learn. I gave you all this stuff. So why are you trying to take it into your hands now? Why are you trying to force it when I'm already leading you in it? And I really felt God was like, I need... To be Lord in your life, if you want to see a change, if you because I kept talking, I'm like God, I want to see a breakthrough in in the youth. I want to see stuff happen, um, but also I want to be able to go to these gigs on Friday nights because they're freaking sick. Um, and I was like, God was like, I need you to I need you to sort out your priorities. I need you to to make me Lord. And through that oh it was pretty hard i was actually like i don't know that i can do that i realized that i was like really struggling with it in that go but then i made a decision i was like no you know what god yes i give it to you i hand it to you i died to that thing that was holding me to wanting to be the best musician ever, that was wanting to to exalt myself because that's what it was. It was pride. I wanted to exalt myself so that I could be the best bass player in Melbourne, so I could be the best, the most most worked bass player in Australia and I could have my name exalted. I realised that all this stuff and when I realised that, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want that at all. And I died to that and I buried it and I gave it to God. And it it wasn't just the death. It wasn't just the letting go of the desire, but it was in saying, God, I give it to you. I still want to be a musician and I know that you've placed it on my heart, but God, I put it in your hands. And it is in that that I felt so much more freedom in being a musician. It is in that that I felt so much more freedom in my walk and that I've been able to be released to work in this church and I've been able to be released to minister to to the youth group and I've been able to be released to do stuff. But I still, I I know that as as slow as things move, whether it's in, in my work or as a musician, I know that it's in God's hands and I'm okay with it because it's fine, because he's got it. Because the thing is, once I started, once I did that, and once I released it, I started to see the place that I was trying to put myself, the place that I had aspired to, I started to see in a different light. I started to go to those gigs. There was just like one gig where I was like, I want that gig. I want to, I want to play that gig. And, I, and it wasn't happening for the longest time. And then I let it go. And I was like, you know what, it's fine. And then this, all this incredible thing happened, and God changed me. And then out of the blue, I got a call from someone who was running this gig and he's like, Josh, do you want to play? And I was like, yes, awesome. And I played and I rocked up and I was actually really excited. Um, but then I played the gig and I was afterwards I was like, that was fun, but that wasn't fulfilling. And I realised that if I was trying to hold on to this thing, I, I would never be fulfilled. As much as I was... I would be pandering to my flesh, pandering to my ability to play these awesome gigs, and there is still joy in playing music. That's why I'm still a musician and I still love it. Um, but it was the intention and it was the, the focus on, on trying to be something, on trying to make a name for myself that I was like, oh, this actually isn't really what I want. And then I started to see everything in a different light. I started to see the way that I approached the whole music scene, just the whole music scene that I was trying to get into was like, Oh, this isn't actually like what I thought it was. But I never would have seen that if I, if all I, if if all I was doing was glorifying it, I would have completely ignored all the negative things about it. But because I gave it to God, I was able to see it for what it was, or at least see the position in my heart for what it was. And so I think this is why I. And uh, this isn't the only thing. This whole year, the last since that moment, I've actually noticed such an incredible shift in how God has been dealing with me and the things that he's been ripping away from me. But it's not just that he rips it away from me. It's that I'm giving it to him and there's the severing. Because God is a gentleman. God, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He doesn't just take stuff from us for, forcibly. forcefully. We, he asks us to give it to him. Yeah. And it's when we give it to him that he takes it. Because what an incredible act of love that we have this opportunity for him to fix everything in our lives. Because we know, right, we know as Christians, we know in our mind that, that God has the perfect plan for us. And we know in our mind that if we were to just give everything away, that, that everything would be great. We know it, God knows it, and yet he still lets us make the decision he still doesn't just do it and fix it and know that we'll probably be grateful later on because it's not about being fixed. It's about the fixing. It's about the journey of giving it away and actively trusting in God and saying, God, I give this to you. I hand it over to you. Let, I let you be Lord in my life. You are seated above everything else in my life. You are seated above every other bit of flesh that is trying to bring me down because you are Lord. But what an incredible act of love, that he loved us so much that he's given us the answer, he gave us the answer 2,000 years ago but he still lets us learn it this has been a learning thing for me this hasn't been something that just automatically I already know, I've had to learn this I just think it's so incredible that he lets he's let me deny essentially deny Jesus in certain aspects of my life and yet still use me powerfully He's let me deny access, Jesus access to areas of my life that he's been wanting to deal with for so long, and yet he still uses me to prophesy. He still uses me to worship lead. He still uses me. He still called me to lead the youth group. I just think that's so incredible, and I'm so humbled by that. But it's because we know that he's got it and that he is Lord. And so I want to invite you guys. I just want to sing... This song, as we stand up and sing because of who you are, I just want to invite you guys to, to think about the person of Christ and what it means for him to have loved us so much and for him to have given his life for us, but not just given his life that through the resurrection that we can also have access to the resurrection in our life and I want you guys to think about if death on the cross is good enough for Jesus, then death of the flesh is good enough for us. Thank you, Lord. All right, if everyone could just repeat after me as we say this prayer. Um, we're just going to thank God for this. Dear Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. I thank you that you have come down and you have saved me. And I thank you that through your resurrection, I will be able to spend eternity with you in heaven. I thank you that you have cleansed me of my sins. And I invite you to be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name.